0: You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. It's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Julie Frattantoni. tony I hope I said that right. Frat and Tony. Yes. Got it. She is a cognitive neuroscientist who specializes in making neuroscience approachable and creating tools that help people become proactive about their brain health. She leads the user experience and content creation for the brain health project. This is a 10 year longitudinal research study seeking to define Measure and improve brain health and performance across the lifespan. She leverages behavioral science for the development of the online brain health dashboard and mobile app where participants access assessments, brain health index, coaching, and training. She also leads the Center's Kindness Enterprise, a research and translational program seeking to uncover and harness the brain's capacity for kindness, empathy, and compassion as critical components of overall brain health and well being. So, thank you. Welcome. Hi, to the thanks show. for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks so for being be here. here. I'm I'm excited about this episode. Um I've been following you as I mentioned before we start recording on Instagram and you just have so many good brain health tips that I think are practical and doable because having a healthy brain is important more than ever, I believe.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think COVID really shown a spotlight on mental health, but mm. I think we're becoming more and more open and aware of just the connection to brain health and thinking about our brain and wanting to take care of it and be proactive, hopefully. Um, so yeah, I think it's really timely. I mean, our brain affects everything we do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I often tell people that I'm working with, if we can target the brain, like, get nutrition specifically to supporting the brain and movement. That's going to support the brain, things like that. We're going to target everything else. Uh, Absolutely.
1: Start at the top. I mean, and <laughs> work your way down. I think, um, and, and truly everything is connected, right? There's nothing you do for your body that doesn't affect your brain and vice versa. So, um, being able to have that awareness, I think there's been such a large movement around, heart health physical health you know we know how to take care of our body take care of our teeth right we know to brush our teeth every day to be proactive um but what are we what are we doing every day to care for our brain to be proactive to prevent decay and so those are the things that i think for so long um you know the science now i mean the last several decades we've made just leaps and bounds in terms of our understanding of the brain what's possible with neuroplasticity but i think the narrative for a long time even when i was growing up was kind of like you're born with what you've got and once your brain cells die that's it if you kill them you never get more back and it was very mm-hmm. much a black box and just kind of like you know, you're fixed in, you're born with what you've got. And so now we know that that couldn't be further from the truth that you really have unlimited potential. We don't know, you know, every brain, um, what every brain is capable of truly, if you support it and for people to know that there are things that you can do in your day-to-day life that are going to help strengthen your brain, protect it and improve it. And that, um, you know, really to combat this notion that, Oh, just as I get older, my brain's going to stop working. That does not have to be the case.
0: Yeah. Ooh. And I can't wait to get into that before I ask about that. And I really want to touch on cognitive decline because it is a concern for so many people. I want to ask you specifically, what's your role and how did you get into this field? And for listeners who are listening and aren't um, seeing Dr. Fratt and Tony on the screen, she's not an old man with glasses and crazy gray hair. Like, I think a lot of people think of neuroscientists as like being these old, like mad scientists, right. (laughs) Studying the brain. And, but that's you're on the up, you're on the up and coming of research right now, and you're young and you're fascinated by the brain. And I, I think that that's so, so important that, that people can understand that this isn't just an old person thing. This isn't just like some complicated science thing, but um, this is stuff that's practical for everybody and that more young people need to hear as well.
1: Yes, thank you for saying that. I think, That stereotype is so pervasive. And if I can inspire anyone to know that you can be a neuroscientist, you don't have to be a middle-aged white male to be a scientist. Um, (laughs) I certainly am not. And so... um, you know, this, I, there's actually a really great documentary. It's called Picture a Scientist. And they it started because they asked people like, okay, draw a scientist for me. Or when you picture a scientist, what do you picture? And everyone pictures either Einstein or Bill Nye, the science guy, right? <laughs> and it's like, um, it's really, it was... It was really a nod to all of the women that are in science and just yeah. kind of breaking the mold and really showing people, um, yeah. If I can be any sort of inspiration um, or example to other young women out there, um, or just someone, yeah, who's like, I don't look like that, but um, <laughs> but you certainly, anyone can can think like a scientist. You don't have to necessarily be be one by trade. It's it's a way of asking questions and and thinking about the world. So. I appreciate you calling that out because um, it is something that is, so important. Uh, I mean, the brain of course is so important and we need, we continually need more research. We have so much yet to discover. It is truly the last frontier. We know more about outer space than we know about the human brain. So just to think about, um, how much we have yet to understand about ourselves and what's in our own head is, is exciting. And also, um, yeah, just shows the great need for that, especially given, um, you know, we touched on cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, dementia, mental health. I mean, there are so many things, brain injury. There's so many different ways and things that um, we still need to understand better because we've got all, you know, we are facing um challenges as well as we rely on our brain to do everything so we're now you know moving from where we used to be in more of an industrial era where it was like you had to do physical labor now it's like it's all mental like it's our jobs are Mm. at our computers it's it's a brain economy and so our livelihood depends on it um this is it's the core of every of who you are and everything you're able to do so um research is truly more important than ever and good quality research and people that are are curious um So I would say being a scientist is more about curiosity and a love for learning and an understanding of, or or an appreciation for discovery, as opposed to, you know, being really good at, I mean, you do need to understand data and statistics and things like that, but just I'll say that's certainly not my strong suit. So um, it's, it's possible, even if that's, you don't say fit that stereotype.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what got you interested in this to begin with?
1: Thank you. Sorry. I, t- I took us on a tangent.
0: No, um, it's good. I mean, like it is women in science is, is, is a growing field and it needs, it needs to be, I think women are naturally, well, I don't, maybe this is generalizing. I think we tend to be very curious by nature, maybe more <laughs> in some ways and think of different possibilities more. Um, so I, I love, I love that topic yes. for sure. So yes, but yeah. What, so what got you into it?
1: Yeah, we need all, all perspectives. Um, so I, started out as a speech language pathologist um that got me into the brain into mm-hmm. neuro speech language um brain injury stroke rehab and really wanted to just understand the brain better, ideally to develop therapy. So then I chose to get a PhD in cognitive neuroscience. Um, I worked, my advisor is a neurologist as well. So everything, all of our research was very clinically focused and Mm -hmm. I much prefer it that way. I think our discoveries, while it is important to publish papers and, you know, make contributions to the field, it is also important to be able to break down that research um, for clinicians and for the everyday person so that they can benefit from those discoveries. So um I appreciated that I was always very got to be very clinically focused within my research. And then in my role now, that is exactly what I get to do in terms of being the Center for Brain Health is a translational research center. And so um we really focus on creating programs, content, products, um hosting events um, that help engage the general public with getting them excited about their brain, mm-hmm. helping them learn, making it easy to understand and approachable because, heck neuroscience can be a bit intimidating if you're not Mm -hmm. familiar or just, um, could be overwhelmed. So we're really working hard to translate that, um, into things that people can use.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I love the accessibility of it. And I, you know, I often try to tell people this isn't the dark ages, you know, we have access to so much information, maybe too much information at times, but how, how can we, I mean, let's start there. We're talking about managing brain health, right? We are inundated with so much information and technology screens, all that. Like, I think it can contribute to kind of a scattered feeling for a lot of people. How can we maintain a healthy brain in an era of information overload?
1: Yes, we are drinking from a fire hose. I mean, we're, (laughs) <laughs> the average person is exposed to more information in a day than I think people were a hundred years ago in their entire lifetime. Um, so a way to really manage that is to be proactive. And what I mean by that is to think about your thinking. So this is the fancy term for that is metacognition, but this ability to really step back and think, okay how am I even taking in and processing all of this? Or what am I doing? Like, am I just drinking from a fire hose and just trying to take in anything and everything? Or can I put a filter on and be a little more selective? So when we talk about, you know, this digital technology age where we're constantly connected and constantly being pinged by things, it's like, are you going to just allow your attention, your most, one of your most valuable assets, right? You only get one spot of attention, right? You can't be all over the place. And so are you going to allow this and that to kind of pull you in all sorts of different directions? And that creates a very stressed brain, Mm a frazzled brain, brain fog doesn't allow you to, you know, consolidate and remember things. It just contributes to um, feeling overwhelmed. And so one of the things that we talk about a lot is we call it strategic attention. So actually being strategic with your, with how you use your attention, what you allow in. And when you think about focus, it's not just what you're focusing in on, it's also what you're blocking out. Mm. So when you think about it, it's like, what can I block? What is not important that I don't need to pay attention to here? And we do this with middle schoolers um, all the way through corporate executives um, of really being able to filter through. And probably some of the most successful people are the ones that are able to say, okay, no, this is not important. I either don't need to attend to this now, or I just don't even need to read that. Um, talk about social media, you know, so being selective with your content diet, thinking how, you know, what do I want on my feed? I can control who I follow. I can mute accounts that feel like noise and distraction. I can, you know, really curate this so that it is going to help, help my brain be healthier um, and not distracted or triggered or stressed. So, I think that's one approach is to kind of think about, okay, how can I, what can I block um, and know that I don't have to take everything in? I think young people have so much at their fingertips um, yeah. different than maybe previous generations. And so it is a really big struggle that they're having to learn how to filter those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about my own kids. I was explaining to my 10-year-old what an encyclopedia was the other day. And we were at the library and they had they had it as a decorative display for Christmas. They had all these encyclopedias lined up like a Christmas tree. Because like, what else do you do with them? encyclopedias right now, except use them as decorations. And I'm like, you no, know, before we could Google everything, <laughs> we, we had to go take the time to search or to use card catalogs. And I'm like at the tail end of that generation. We did that up until probably college post-college for me. And then it all shifted to technology and Google. And I forget, you know, that, that took time and intention and now with everything so immediate we don't have to take time or attention for anything anymore
1: oh yeah you put in one search term and you've got you know thousands of articles or that keyword pops up and so you've got to be able to determine well which ones am i going to read which ones am i going to spend my precious time and attention focusing on um so those are really important skills i think more than ever and um and then another one i think is you know, something we talk about a lot is that the brain you have is a brain that you've built based Mm -hmm. on the way that you use it every day. So, you know, when we are Constantly used to being interrupted, or we're used to having our phone go off, or this notification ping, or you know, someone needing our attention. Um, it trains your brain to seek out that distraction so that once you are finally able to sit down in the quiet and focus, it's very hard because your brain is used to having to work with all that stimuli. Um, so, you know, one of the things that um, another strategy that we teach is to really try to do single tasking um, to help retrain your brain and to really strengthen those focus muscles um, because just kind of like the muscles in your body, right? That can be stronger or weaker depending on how often you use it or the ways that you allow your attention to kind of be um, distracted. So, you know, you can't be quiet focused 100% of the time we actually don't don't recommend that but for the things that require deeper level thinking um you know on average they say when you get interrupted you know when you're really deep into the flow of something mm-hmm. on average if you're interrupted it takes about 20 to 25 minutes to get back to the point where wow. you were in thought cuz you've got to kind of reorient yourself and get mm-hmm. into that place So we're losing a lot of time. And so to really know, um, okay, for this, we recommend 45 minutes. um, If you have a task that is gonna really require that deeper thinking um, to block off that time and you know put everything on do not disturb and make it set yourself up um, for success so that you can get into that state of deep work and being able to let yourself think deeply is actually an exercise for your brain that is gonna help strengthen it and keep it healthy. So I know that kind of a lot of this so much information keeps us as more shallow thinkers because there's so much that we can't go deep we're kind of just staying up at this level and um and we're when we're just staying shallow all the time then our certain frontal networks are not getting to engage mm. um and that's really important when we think about, the lifespan. And just to go into, you know, development real quick, we know that our frontal lobe, prefrontal cortex, last part of the brain to finish developing, um, usually in the mid-20s. And it's the first part of the brain to start to decline, which is around late 30s, early 40s. So there's mm-hmm. a very small window <laughs> where your frontal lobe is robust and kicking, mm-hmm. but we're living to be 80, 90, 100. And so, you you know, who who only wants 10, 10 good years, right, yeah. when we're living... Living so much longer, so um, I bring that up because it gives people, I think, an appreciation for, oh, well, how? Okay, if my frontal lobe is going to start to decline, well, one, I guess, why, and two, can I do something about it? And the answer is yes. Um, and one of the things that you can do is you can protect your attention. You can single task and do deep focus and and think deeply about things, and that's going to that engages your frontal lobe and your frontal networks in a way mm-hmm. that is going to help keep them healthier for longer.
0: That is such great information, especially for those of us who are like, yeah, I'm multitasking. I can do all things at one time. And it's awesome. You're saying that's not the best tool for brain longevity.
1: Yes. So multitasking, you're right. People used to put that on their resume. They used to say, you know, I'm good at multitasking <laughs> and What they maybe mean is I'm good at prioritizing or I'm good at managing multiple projects, but your brain really cannot, it is not designed to do more than one thing at a time. So when you can, um, and we see this like texting and driving. You know, huge Mm. cause of accidents because you don't even see them, right? Your brain is focused on that task. Other examples are like if you're talking on the phone and trying to also watch the news or something on TV, right? You're either going to tune into one or the other, or if you're listening to a call and responding to an email, right? You're going to make mistakes. So people think they're being more efficient. It's like, oh, I'm getting more done in less time, but you're actually, it actually takes you longer, studies have shown, and Mm. you make more errors. You have to go back and correct those errors. So you're not saving yourself. Any time, um, and it adds stress to the brain, which we know mm. probably is one of the number one enemies when it comes to keeping the brain healthy for a long time. Um, minimizing stress is really important, and that's one way that people is a sneaky source of stress that I think people don't
0: realize that they're doing to themselves. Yeah, what are some other sneaky sources of stress that um, impact our brain and our brain health mm. for a long time? I hate to interrupt today's episode, but I have an important question for the listeners. What are you making for dinner tonight? Contrary to popular belief, healthy eating does not have to be complicated or boring. Children and adults can learn that food is fun, delicious, and makes us feel better, even when it's not pizza. I know we all kind of like pizza too, but if you are looking for the ultimate resource to help your family eat healthier, nutrient-dense foods, to fire up those neurotransmitters, to improve brain health, to improve energy function, then look no further. My friend, pediatrician Dr. Alina Oltiano and I have come up with a recipe book just for you. It's called Brain Food for the Whole Family and it is available now on Amazon. Get that recipe book and I guarantee it's going to give you some practical tips and tools that you and your kids will enjoy. It's filled with really colorful pictures and descriptions of what our bodies need to function best and my kids love it. I ran it by them first and they love it. They love learning about how foods make them feel. I will drop the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show.
1: Okay, so um multitasking and then we touched on the content, the content mm. that you consume. So that's not just social media that is the news you're listening to, it's what you're reading. It's, you know, the, the, the crime thriller p- podcast show that the TV Guilty. shows, it's,
0: mm-hmm. it's yeah,
1: yeah, it's all of that, you know, that can, um, you, we take all of that in, right. And it shapes and changes your brain. And so those can be, um, you know, just be sensitive to know what you're putting in, what you're taking in, what you're, how you're training your thoughts, um, is really important. Another big one um, kind of sneaky, sneaky sources, your closest friends and family, the people you spend the most time with, your coworkers, right? Who you are surrounded with. You've, you probably heard that quote, like, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future or, you know, or you're the average of your, your five closest people. And so we are social creatures. We are wired to be that way. We're wired to learn from each other. And so, um, yeah, if someone around you is really negative or there's just you know, a lot of conflict or toxic, um, it's a toxic relationship, right? That's going to going to impact your brain health in a really big way. And then the opposite of that would be to the brain boost is social connection is, is essential. It is one of the most protective factors. When you look at parts of the world, like blue zones, mm-hmm. um, people that are living to be into their hundreds regularly, one of the biggest things they see is the aspect of community and that you've got multiple generations living together. You've got, you know, this really great togetherness And um, so, yeah, so knowing who you surround yourself with is definitely another sneaky source. And so be, you know, be intentional with the relationships that you invest in.
0: Yeah, that's a great lead into the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is the um, kindness enterprise. This is the research program where you're targeting the brain's capacity for kindness, empathy, compassion, and how those impact the brain. So if, if the other things that you're talking about are brain stressors, does this change the brain in a positive way?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, the research is, it's really beautiful when when research kind of aligns with things that we intuitively, like we know, right? right. We know that we can immediately feel the impact of someone being just kind um, and friendly and compassionate and, um, you know, how, how it makes us feel, but also that that translates to physiological change. So we know that, um, for example, when people have a common cold, there was a study that they looked at when they interacted with their doctor and those that experienced a doctor that displayed more empathy, they got, they healed faster and they had less, um, inflammatory markers in their body. It was just like, um, It's incredible. And so there's, you know, a lot of different work kind of showing just the the effects on our immune system, our ability to be healthy and resilient um, from experiencing that. And kind of going back to what I said earlier about us being wired for that connection, because it's such an essential part of our survival. um, When you have those strong relationships, it's like there is, I think, so much of health and longevity is the body and the brain, um, really, your nervous system, feeling safe, feeling like I am, <laughs> I am safe to flourish and thrive. Whereas when you're in a survival mode, when you're in fight or flight constantly, your body is not able to, for example, like I know for, for fertility, for example, it's like your body's not able to put resources towards extra functions. It's just focusing on the survival yeah. ones. So, you know, when you think about, um, so it's the same thing for overall brain and body health is that when you can be surrounded by nurturing, loving relationships, when you're receiving compassion and care, um, the body feels safe. The brain is safe. The nervous system is then saying, okay, we can flourish. We can do Mm -hmm. these extra things. We can be more creative. We can be, you know, we can solve these problems. We can come up with more solutions. We can, um, you know, have the motivation to chase these goals, um, accomplish these things. And so, um, it really, it seems so fluffy and kind of like woo woo of like, Oh, we need kindness. And it's like, it's actually, there's wonderful signs to support it, but it is, it is an essential part of being healthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that you've done such a great job explaining that top-down approach to brain health. So I kind of want to flip it and talk about nutrition and food and how maybe, what could be considered a bottom up approach. If we're talking about digestion of nutrients, how does that impact brain health?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, um, when it comes to nutrition, we know that these are, these are the building blocks for our, our neurotransmitters. Um, they are, it is it's fuel for the body and for the brain, right. It's essential. And so getting it's kind of, um, I like how you said kind of a top down and a bottom up and you really, you need both. So I also like to think of it, I like the analogy of like hardware and software. Mm. So it's sort of like, you know, you've got to take care of your hardware. You've got to exercise and eat and sleep and kind of fuel the the machinery. And then the software is kind of more of like your mindset, your mental health, your thought life, your, um, the, you know, your ability to kind of approach things strategically, all of that. So, um, and, and one affects the other. So your, your mindset can then affect your physical body, right. And your physical yeah. body can then also, or your, your diet, if you're eating, if you're not getting adequate nutrition and eating a lot of processed foods or a lot of sugar that then impacts your neurotransmitters, your Got brain connection, mm-hmm. um, your mood increases things like anxiety and depression. So they definitely is a bi-directional relationship. Um, but when it comes to food, I mean, I think, gosh, it's so, um, it is so hard because there is no one size fits all. There are so many, um, it's bio-individuality, right? We've all got kind of our own things going on. So you have to, you have to do a little bit of work to treat yourself as your own little science experiment and Mm -hmm. find out what gives you energy. But I think when you, I think food has been so, you know, food, diet, nutrition has been so categorized by just weight loss and being yeah. skinny or you know like how you look as opposed to thinking about food as fuel for my brain and what helps me think clearly like what gives me energy to you know to do what i need to do all day long um what's making me have brain fog what's making me feel not well what's making me feel moody i think to become more aware and observant of those things is so important um, so that you can make the food choices that are going to support your brain better. And then of course there is a lot of research supporting maybe specific things or, or food groups in general that are good to think about. But um, I always have to feel like I have to caveat because people are like, well, what diet's the best? And there's just so many schools of thought. And it's like, you know, the one there, there are ones that have research behind them, but Mm -hmm. the best one is the one that you feel the best on, right? The one that you, you feel good and feel like you can do what you need to do. And most people are too busy, I think, to take the time to pay attention to that. It's like, I've got to just do what's convenient. Um, And, and yeah, and that's, that's reality too. So no shame if you feel, if you feel too busy, Mm -hmm. um, definitely don't want anyone to be feeling guilty about that. But I think it's just, it's one small thing at a time.
0: Yeah. And it, it's interesting that you mentioned how people want that one thing. They were like, what's the one magic fix for everything. And then there's also a group of people I've run into many people kind of maybe the, I would say an older generation that will tell me, I never thought that what I eat affects my brain or that it affects my mental health. There's still so many people that aren't quite getting that connection. Do you find that as well?
1: Yes. I think you're right. I think they, they think about like, oh, I'm going to gain weight is like right. the only thing that they uh-huh. think about or it. Like, oh, this is, or- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Counting calories are like, oh, this is bad for me. And it's mm-hmm. like, or, or, or I'm being bad or I'm being good, whatever yeah. that is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, to think about like, well, your brain needs, you know um, it's really important to have fuel, like the typical fuel is is glucose and what okay what breaks down into mm-hmm. that or like what is actually allowing my neurons to fire and what they need mm-hmm. and um you know certain vitamins and things that are found in just our fruits and vegetables. And, you know, just like these whole real foods that it's amazing that God created them to, ha- <laughs> to, to be perfectly formulated for exactly what we need. Um, we don't need to create any fancy supplement or be on some, you know, expensive thing. It's like, it's really just back to the basics and, you know, less, less processed, less man-made, less. Yeah you know, refined sugar and more of just things that have grown from the ground. Um, And those things are, are some of the best things. So it's always, I would say like simpler is, is better.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yep. I love that you touched on that. Do you have any, are there any scientific studies that comes to food and That that breaks down food and brain health that you really love, or what do what do you nerd out on with the scientific research on food and the brain?
1: Yes. Okay. Well, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Annie Fenn. She is the Account Brain Health Kitchen, and she is a medical doctor and then turned, you know, culinary um, guru. And so she has done a ton of research. Her book, Brain Health Kitchen, I highly recommend to everyone. It's got Never heard
0: of this. Oh my gosh! I've never heard of her. Oh my
1: gosh. Okay. Yeah, she's fantastic. Um, Um, she, so yeah, so I recommend her book because it's a cookbook, but it also has all the research supporting kind of the different food groups. And then she gives you recipes, um, ways to, you know, incorporate those different ingredients. And again, they're not any like exotic ingredients. It's things like, you know, nuts and berries and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, leafy greens. So, um, yeah, so I think she is a tremendous resource. Her Instagram is great. She also has a a Substack. um, publication that she does. And there is research wise, kind of as a whole, I mean, this is the fun the fun thing about the nutrition world. It's like <laughs> eat eggs, don't eat eggs. Eat, you know, just okay, it's mm-hmm. the egg yolk. Okay. It's the egg white. Okay. It's you know <laughs> so mm-hmm. research is continually fluctuating and there's there's you have to be really careful about bias within studies and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I know that there is research supporting the Mediterranean diet, the mind diet. Mm-hmm. Um and the things that those have in common are, you know, healthy fats, um, oily fish. Um, we know that have those omega threes in them. Those are great for brain health. Um, things like walnuts. Um, so yeah, I would say generally, uh, I can tell you, I, so this is not advice, but I would just say what I kind of follow for myself is, um, really generally just like the, the quality of your food matters. Mm-hmm. So, focusing on, you know, when you can get grass fed grass finished whatever and it's an investment but i'm like Mm -hmm. i'd rather pay it now than pay it later in hospital bills and not be able to spend time with my friends and family right it's kind of like this is an investment on the forefront and so we have to be thinking about it that way so yeah it maybe costs a little more but what price can you put on your independence um like i think i would pay so much just to be able to maintain independence through late late in life and not be um In a nursing home. So, I mean, not to say that eating guarantees that or can guarantee prevent that, but it is a huge risk factor that is modifiable based on Mm -hmm. how you live your life. Um, So, yeah, I really just focus on a lot of great leafy green vegetables, a lot of, you know, good quality protein um, and healthy fats like avocado or olive oil and nuts, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and then kind of just limiting um, sugar. I don't drink and, um, and like processed foods or fast foods. So it's really just keeping it simple. I also, and then I have, I'm sensitive to gluten so I don't do gluten or dairy, but that's just me. Everyone's different on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you touched on that. Uh, It's so funny. I was literally just, um, posting about a research article. It was a, um, I believe it was a systemic review about, um, meat and brain health. And they went over 18 of the published studies and found that eating meat is better for the brain, like for anxiety and depression, people that eat meat are less likely to be anxious or depressed and people that don't eat meat, you know, and it was, but even within that though, you're going, okay, well, this is 18 studies, how those studies are broken down matters and nutritional science is, you just never know how it's, I mean, it, it is very tricky to your point. And it goes back to bio individuality, quality, colorful ingredients makes a big difference for even for those antioxidants and things. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that you touched on that there. I've been a brain health kitchen. That's good. That's a note to self on that. I don't know how I'm, I, I thought I was following all of the brain health people. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with the little bit of time we have left, I'd love to ask about tips for reducing cognitive decline. I know we kind of already talked about some of them, but what we didn't touch on was maybe like movement, sleep, you know, some of those other, I mean, there's so many things that, that build a healthy brain, but I do know that t- cognitive decline is a major risk and we can start to prevent it. What, like 30 years before we actually see the impact. So the time is now to build a healthy brain. So what are some things you would recommend?
1: Yeah, we know that Alzheimer's begins in the brain 20 to 30 years before you see the first symptoms. And so um, if you're like, oh, I'll worry about that later. No, worry about it now. Right. <laughs> now is the time. And it's also never too late. So you could be in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and you can start focusing on your brain health. Um, would love it if you everyone started in their 20s because aging mm-hmm. starts in your 20s. So, you know, we're, aging is now. Um, it's not one day. Um, And so, yeah, you mentioned sleep and exercise. Of course, those are absolute foundational. Um, I would say one great tip um, if someone wanted to start, if someone was like, what should I do starting today? I want to start a new habit. You know, um, I would say take a 10 to 15 minute walk every day Mm. and on your walk talk to a friend, catch up with a loved one, call your mom, um, or even better if you can walk with a friend in person. But if you could implement, you're going to be hitting, it's a great habit stack because you're getting both movement and social connection. And those are two of the most protective things. And the thing about that is also the consistency of it. So I'm going to say this 15 minute walk every day is going to be better than hours in the gym once a week. Um, So just building that muscle. And then also you're going to be hopefully outside. But if you can't be outside, you know, get one of those walking, (laughs) get a treadmill or one of those walking things or just walk up and down the stairs, whatever it is, get creative. It doesn't have to be any certain way you figure out what works for you. But I would say that would be um, one huge thing. And then, you know, if you have more time, um, building muscle is really helpful and protective for the brain um, long term. We know that one of the biggest risk factors for cognitive or, um, one of the risk factors is, is falls. So like, if you're not having good balance and then you fall and then you break your hip and then kind of from there, we see, um, you know, surgery and anesthesia, and then we just see cognitive decline. So knowing that that balance leg strength is important. Um, so building muscle, I highly recommend, and then got to talk about sleep. Um, you know, this is one again, I think people used to pride themselves on I can function on four hours of sleep yeah. <laughs> and it's like that is not a badge of honor. I mean Mm-mm. sleep improves everything from, I mean longevity um anxiety, depression, mental health. we know you your increased risk for diseases if you are not getting enough sleep, um, and then it improves creativity, I, I mean literally every cognitive function repairs, resets, you're missing out on, I shouldn't say you're missing out. If you're you're depriving yourself of sleep, you're missing out. But when you're getting sleep, your brain actually, you've probably heard of the lymphatic system for the body that takes out the trash. Well, your brain has the glymphatic system. And so that is just flushing out toxins and they don't get flushed out if you don't sleep. Like that system only (laughs) runs when you're asleep. So you've really got to um, prioritize that. And I would say pretty much everyone needs between seven to nine hours. And so there's a very small, small percentage that might be able to get by on less, but, um, but those physiological processes of maintenance and keeping the physical brain healthy are so essential. And then I want to add one more. So we know, you know, okay, social sleep exercise, we talked about managing stress. Um, the last one that I think people don't think about as much is this idea of cognitive challenge. So, Mm -hmm. you know, continuing to learn, staying engaged, you know, after you retire, continuing to have some type of volunteer or something that you're, you know, being challenged in. And it doesn't have to be, it's not going to be the same challenges when you're, you know, climbing the corporate ladder in your 20s and 30s, but it'll be some level of, um, you know, something you care about, something you're interested in. And with that comes the sense of purpose that is also really protective um for aging and and keeping co- yourself cognitively healthy so um thinking about you know what are ways that i can continue to challenge myself continue to learn um and and that it the most important part about that though is that it's something that you enjoy and you are genuinely yeah. curious and interested in don't just start learning to play an instrument because you think that that's something that's healthy. Do (laughs) it if you only do that, like the benefit comes from if you actually want to do it. So find what that is for you. And there's so many different ways to learn. It doesn't need to be like, I'm taking a class on it. It can be, it could be just learning a new yoga pose, learning a new dance, you know, type of dance. It could be learning about people, right? Interviewing them, being curious, getting to know the people around you. It could be, um, it can be more traditional, like listening to a podcast on a topic you're interested in, but just know that there are so many ways to stay challenged and engaged. And that is probably one of the biggest reasons that we see decline um, later is because people just stop
0: engaging. Yeah. So you're saying that all these interviews I do are helping my brain.
1: Yes, they are. You're being curious, you're being challenged, you're getting new information, integrating that with what Mm -hmm. you know, it's a great exercise.
0: That is so interesting. Now, I I think I've shared this on the show before, but Two of my, um, both of my dad's parents had Alzheimer's dementia, and I, there was definitely a lack of cognitive challenge, a lack of movement for them. My grandma was addicted to diet Pepsi. And we know that that, you know, those artificial sweeteners don't help anybody with their brain um, and I don't have the Alzheimer's gene, but you can still express Alzheimer's and you can still go into cognitive decline without the gene, right? I want to make sure that people hear this.
1: That's right. And, and on the, the opposite is also true that you can have the gene and you cannot express it based on your lifestyle. So if you have the gene, yes, it's increased risk, but it's not a guarantee. And Mm -hmm. so I think for people to feel encouraged that this Mm -hmm. isn't a a death sentence, but rather, you know, there's things you can do. And then also just because you don't have the gene, right. Doesn't mean you're in the clear that my Mm -hmm. recommendation to someone who has the gene and someone who doesn't, my recommendation is the same to do the same thing, still sleep, still move your body, still connect socially, manage stress, all of that.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause I know there's a lot of back and forth about that, you know, and in the world of health, like, Oh, I have the gene. What do I do? And Oh, I don't have the gene. So I'm fine. No, 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 no. We still want to help support a healthy brain no matter what, because our brain is up against all sorts of things that maybe previous generations didn't experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've got environmental toxins. We've got
0: you know, <laughs> just
1: <laughs> being in front of screens all day. I mean, yeah, we're, we're up against a lot.
0: Yeah. I, I so much appreciate your perspective and I could, I mean, pick your brain all day long, but I'm going to end with my favorite question. And that is, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give just one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would that be?
1: Ooh. Um, Oh, I have so many that come to mind. I think I would say, I think I'm going to go back to my tip about um, the the daily walks and connecting with someone. I think if you can just move your body, just taking a a commit to a ten minute walk every day and and catching up with a friend. um, And you don't have to talk. I guess you don't have to talk to someone every single day, but making that effort to connect, mm-hmm. I think is huge. And so I think that's one um, really doable habit that um, I think would see tremendous benefit in the long term. I think that's one small, simple, sustainable way to kind of just feel like here's something I'm doing for, for me, for my brain today. And I feel like I can do that.
0: I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Where can people follow? Your Instagram is so great. I love it. I'm not on TikTok. I don't know if you are, but all, give me all of your socials so the listeners can follow you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am. So I am on Instagram and TikTok. The handle is the same. It's just at Dr. Julie Fratt and Tony. Um, I also have a website, uh, which is just www.drjuliefrattandtony.com. And um, yeah, please reach out and say hi. I would love to connect with you all on any of those platforms.
0: Okay. And I guess we didn't mention this before, but you are, you work out of, is it UT Dallas? Is that right? Yes. UT Dallas. (laughs) I did not mention that at the beginning and that's the center for brain health that you're at. Correct. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This is such great information and I appreciate it. Thanks for having me